Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f*** are the Knutsons? These are big movies think about big men in tights. Roll that mother camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies. We're going to talk about something uh, from the present. This is a present tense episode. We haven't been doing a lot of those lately. It's exciting. It's exciting to get back to the now. We're going to get back to the now by going back to Pixar's (laughs) first film, Toy Story, and talking about the renowned, beloved franchise and Pixar and all that good shit. I never thought we'd see a Toy Story 4, Matt. I kind of hoped we'd never see a Toy Story 4, to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of us were kind of in the same boat about that, right? The series ended on such a beautiful note with the end of the third film, which at the time I was like, this is a masterpiece. This is probably Pixar's best film. This is the best film in the series i can't imagine a better ending for this family and uh that's it let's put them out to pasture everything ends pitch perfectly so i was really hoping that they wouldn't go back to this well how about yourself i was thinking the same thing especially i'm pretty anti pixar doing any sequels right they got a real spotty history with it to be perfectly honest i don't know if there's been a pixar sequel outside of the toy story franchise that has really worked i mean i'm an in, i'm an incredibles 2 apologist it's also the highest grossing film in pixar history which is odd but toys the toy story sequels are the only ones that i feel are just absolute slam dunks across the board yeah i i agree with that i mean incredibles 2 is is totally fine but nowhere near the original i don't like any of the cars movies and monsters university was a pretty pretty much a disaster so forgettable at least yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I guess Toy Story sort of lends itself to this because they are toys and their stories based on the sort of the, the passage of time with the, with the families that they're in. So it kind of makes sense in that regard. But, you know, Pixar's got such a incredible creative base and they know what they're doing that, you know, you really like to see them not go back to the well and do original stuff. And, you know, lately they've been spottier than they had been during their creative apex. But, you know, Coco is still one of my favorite movies of the last few years, right? Coco's solid. Inside Out is excellent. I, I would reverse those sentiments, but that's that's just me. I, maybe I use the word solid uh, inappropriately because that's honestly one of my top five favorite Pixar movies of all time. I absolutely loved it. As a matter of fact, I rewatched Coco the other night after my first of two viewings of Toy Story 4. Wow. Passionate about Toy Story 4. I'm in a real Toy Story mood. I got to be honest. I, I jammed through, you know, one, two, and three over the last four days or so. Just, you know, they're all pretty short. Even though it's an emotional roller coaster, it's not an enormous time investment. And honestly, I hadn't seen one and two in many years. I, I revisit three pretty often because I, I do think it's the best of the series. Yeah, to kind of complete my journey with this film, uh, I didn't want it. I thought it felt like a cash grab, <laughs> but at the same time, I had to give these guys a little bit of benefit of the doubt because they technically are were three for three at this point, right? There's no reason yes. to believe that they would blow it this time around, despite the fact that I thought this was unnecessary. I got to say, I... I wasn't that surprised when the reviews started rolling in and it was sitting at 100% for the first week or so. And now I think it's right around 98. Mm -hmm. I was like, Jesus Christ, did these guys fucking do it again? And yeah, I went to go see it on at the very first show, the 645 show last Thursday night. 
and I was really skeptical. And for the first, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so, I was like, boy, we're really having a hard time getting out of the gate here. This is this is pretty rough. Uh, I don't really see what, what, what are they getting at. And then slowly but surely, it kind of worked its way under my skin. And by the time I walked out, it's like, they fucking did it again. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe it. Mutual friend and friend of the podcast, Ryan Julio, asked me, how many times did you, uh, you know, ugly cry over the course of this thing? And I, I got to be honest, I definitely, it got a little dusty in the theater by the end for sure. But it's not the, it's not the same kind of gut punch as the third one. Like the third one is almost traumatic in terms of how incredible. Yeah, the third one's almost cruel in yes. what they do to you emotionally. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this franchise is sort of like a double helix of nostalgia at this point, right? It's sure. like it's a franchise sort of about nostalgia that you can now be nostalgic for because it's four movies in. I mean, I don't have the same passionate relationship that you do with the franchise. I've obviously seen all of them multiple times, but I wasn't excited about this movie and I didn't think I wanted it. And I walked out of the theater kind of feeling neutral about oh, really? the whole thing. Okay, uh, yeah, interesting. I, I, I thought it was totally fine and I, I did get that feeling of sort of what are, what are we doing here we're sort of spinning our wheels the stakes seemed lower for whatever reason maybe it's the story itself maybe it was just that this is the fourth one we've done I think it's 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 definitely good and it's beautiful and it's you know it's it, it tugs on the heartstrings by the end you know how many times do they have to rescue someone from somewhere right <laughs> like that's just that it just it goes on over and over and over again it is it's true this is a series that it really hangs its hat on uh, extended rescue sequences. Yes. Um, which kind of crescendos in the third one when there's an actual jailbreak sequence. Yeah, it, I mean, it is it is smaller for sure. It is significantly, it's far and away the smallest of the four. Which is the right way to go. It's which the is right the right way, way, way to, to go. The fourth yeah. one, yes. I think it's the weirdest. It's kind of the most twisted. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of weird, dark, you know, like body horror and stuff in this one. <laughs> sure. Um, there is a character at the center of it who we can talk about, a brand new character who basically, like, he basically, he's basically asking questions about the meaning of life or the meaning of yeah. sentience, you know, the meaning yeah. of, his, of existence. Yeah. And he's the, he's the strangest character in this series by far, but it's a bit of a flex. It's, it's really a bit of a hold my beer situation with these, uh, Pixar guys managing to create a character like Forky and he becomes kind of the standout in this film, right? Yeah, it's almost like they the the writers lost a bet or something. Like what's the what's the silliest character you can make crazy endearing? Well, according to Josh Cooley, the new director, this is his uh, feature directorial debut. He said it literally just stemmed from them sitting around the writers' room and making jokes and, mm-hmm. and basically yeah, saying what's the stupidest possible character we can come up with, and then they got just obsessed with this character because they thought it was so funny. And Forky's almost like a stand-in for this film, right? Like this film shouldn't really exist, and mm-hmm. it feels kind of cobbled together in a lot of ways and it feels kind of messier a little more raw a little more unexpected a little weirder and by the end not only was i completely sold on forgy but i was completely sold i was completely sold on the film something i didn't necessarily believe should exist and now i'm totally on board for matt what is this movie about well if you break down the series if each one is thematically wrapped around a different anxiety and the way of getting over that anxiety because I feel like this series is really defined by Woody's anxiety <laughs> about a number of yes. things. Then the original Toy Story is about is about the anxiety of losing one's job, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's about learning to work with a new colleague. The second Toy Story is anxiety about one's personal legacy and learning to enjoy the journey, not the destination. The third film is about the anxiety of aging and finally about accepting death. <laughs> it sounds really dark when you say it that way, but yeah. how can you not look at that scene at the at the tra- you know in the incinerator at the end and the way that they finally all hold hands and accept it and then are rescued only once they've actually sort of accepted their own mortality? Mm-hmm. How can you how can you not look at that film and say that's a movie about learning to accept one's mortality? Yeah. So in that spirit, I feel that Toy Story Four is about anxiety about feeling useless and learning to embrace the possibilities of retirement. Okay. I feel like this is a movie about accepting... Accepting abandonment, right? Yeah, sure. Or, or, you know, at least accepting the fact that one's time is over. Like, this is about Woody realizing that he has served his purpose, he has served his usefulness, and now maybe it's time to get some Woody time. 
right? Yeah. And in that regard, it's not dissimilar from the arc of from, from Captain America's arc leading up to him finally deciding to go out there and experience life at the end of Endgame, right? Yeah. Well, we got to bring up Avengers, Matt. <laughs> Sorry, I can't go more. <laughs> I can't go more than one present tense. It's been it's been a month, you know, since we talked about I Avengers, know. and uh, Lord knows we'll probably talk about it at the end of this conversation as well. But when you really think about it, like the end of Avengers Endgame is obviously him sort of deciding he's going to go and experience retirement or, you know, experience romance or experience all of these things that he's put off while he's been trying to save the world for a century, right? Yeah, pretty much. Woody's probably spent 70 years dedicating himself to children, obviously mostly Andy, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's time for him to take a little time for himself. Yeah, and I I appreciated that sentiment, and I I, I like the general theme of the movie. I don't want to get too nitpicky here, but do you feel like they've gotten a little loose with the sort of internal rules of toydom here (laughs) in this this fourth installment here? Like, remember how careful they were to not be seen or or be animate around humans early on in the franchise, and now they're fucking changing GPSs and talking in front of kids and and running (laughs) RV. Like, you know, I don't know. Stay true to yourself, right? Stay consistent. No, I I think that this is the messiest film, for sure, (laughs) in terms of how it really, like you said, it really stretches the rules. And uh, yeah, by the time we get around to the climax, which is somewhat anticlimactic in that it really just involves them taking over the RV, taking over the GPS, and then basically just taking over the uh, you know the accelerator and the brakes that stuff gets a little dumb and i could sort of do i mean it's it's just ultimately it's just it's it's logistically necessary to get us where we need to get to right Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively yes so yeah i can kind of do without that stuff the same way i could i could sort of do without them introducing this new rule that mr potato head could actually just stick his extremity he could just stick his accessories into a tortilla in the third one and then he could take control like that I was like okay <laughs> like as bulletproof as I think that movie is I was like uh really so it's not his body it's the accessories that is where the sentience is uh, that that was a little tough for me well had had they established that any kid can put uh, you know, googly eyes on a plastic substance and create a toy that does become sentient, or is this the first time that's happened? This is the first time that's happened, and and you're bringing up basically the crux of the film, right? You're bringing up the inciting incident, which is Bonnie creating a, a living thing. Yes. You know, and this kind of gets back to the idea that throughout this entire series, children are God, right? Mm -hmm. The children are the deities of this universe, at least as far as the toys are concerned. Mm -hmm. So it would make sense that a deity could create a new toy. I mean, of course, whoever is creating these toys at the factory are basically birthing existence, right? So yeah, sure. Googly eyes and a little pipe cleaner for arms and some stick feet. There you go. Sentience. My question is the evolution of these characters like inner life and inner brains right so is the implication here that all of the toys emerge sentient without a clue what's going on because it seemed like you know buzz and wood i guess buzz has learned something but i don't do they learn matt or do they come fully formed yeah because in this regard he's basic he's literally born as an infant right yeah like he not only doesn't understand the idea of existence he doesn't understand why he's alive Woody basically has to teach him everything Mm -hmm. so yeah you're saying straight out of the box well obviously we saw Buzz come fully formed out of the box thinking he was a space ranger yeah so maybe it's maybe it's circumstantial you know maybe every toy has their own it's circumstantial intellectual journey based on the textiles and materials made you know Forky wanted to go to the trash because he thought he belonged in the trash that's where sporks ultimately go Interesting questions about the the rules of the universe, you know? I I totally understand getting distracted by those because these these are fair points, but the series has always played fast and loose with these rules, I know. I'm not really bothered by any of this. No, I mean, it's it's all fair, but um, I got to be honest. I I got on board with Forky pretty damn quick. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with the genius of Tony Hale. Yeah, Tony Hale is fantastic. He's he's wonderful. And, you know, like I said, the first 30 minutes or so of this movie, basically up until they get to the antique store. Well, no, let's put it this way. Basically, up until... Woody and Forky fall out of the RV and Woody has to teach him the rules of the world and Woody tells him the story of Andy and carry, you know, while he's carrying him down the road. That's when the movie really started to work for me. Yeah. Because up until then, it's just a lot of Forky throwing himself in the trash, which don't get me wrong, is very funny. (laughs) 
and very dark when you think about the fact that you basically are starting with a suicidal toy. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, okay, really, like, where are we going with this? Just him just watching, you know, like babysitting Forky. And like you said, what are the rules of this world? Every time he throws Forky out of the trash, it's very convenient that Bonnie's always looking the other way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is really nitpicky stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think the movie really picks up, uh, obviously, once they arrive at Grand Basin, which they'll remain for the remainder of the film and the uh, and the antique store, which is sort of the, the main hub of, of much of the action. So what do you think about our, our, our big villain in this movie, Matt? This doll that's pining for a little girl that she can't have because she doesn't have the voice, I guess. I don't know, and her and her weird doll minions. Love it. Love it. Love Gabby Gabby so Gabby, much. Gabby. Love Christina Hendricks so much in this movie. What a wonderful villain. What a wonderful voice performance. What incredibly creepy minions she has. What a great idea to give her ventriloquist dummies, right? Like guys who literally can't talk. It's all about... It's all about her pining for this voice box and about attempting to take Woody's voice box away. And these guys have no voice, right? Mm -hmm. They have no, without a ventriloquist, a ventriloquist dummy has no voice. So I thought that was a really, that was a masterstroke. God, Christina Hendricks is just so good in this role. It's just fucking Pixar is so good at casting outside of the box. I mean, Christina Hendricks is obviously a star. I think we think of her more as a television star than a movie star, but she's a star. But I wouldn't necessarily think of her as like an a-lister no you know whereas the the uh, secret lives of pets or you know shark tail like the dreamworks movies and the blue sky movies they try and get the biggest movie stars they possibly can they go for will smith kevin hart god the, the there's a preview for one movie before toy story that had got alec baldwin and uh boss baby yeah had a million names yeah they just throw darts at the board and see who will come in and pick up a paycheck but yeah pixar does exactly. seem to care about fitting the character to the voice exactly. way more than any other animation studio Absolutely. Okay, I mean, Jordan Peele and uh, Keegan-Michael Key, those are some pretty high-profile names, especially since one of them is a recent Oscar winner. Still casting to the character as opposed to designing the character around the cast, right? Yeah, of course. Like, they seem perfect. They seem perfectly organic in those roles. Yeah. And Christina Hendricks is just like, just seeing her name in the cast, knowing nothing about the character, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Christina Hendricks, huh? Never really thought of her as a vocal performer in that manner. You know, the same way we all looked and said, Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres? Really? (laughs) Yeah. So to answer your question, I think she's fantastic. I think it's a great villain, especially because second and third Toy Stories basically had identical villains. Yeah. Both were great. Kelsey Grammer's great. Ned Beatty's even better. If you really look at the motivations of those two characters, they're eerily similar. Mm-hmm. This time around, they they go to a much different and much more interesting place. And I really feel like that character's motivation kind of lifts this movie up to an echelon that just reading this synopsis on paper, you wouldn't necessarily understand or expect, right? Yeah, I mean, what do you think Pixar and the writers are trying to say, though, with this character? Buzz and Woody are de facto parents for their kids right and that's sort of the 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 role they play are they saying with this character that to be fulfilled as an adult you have to have children matt i don't necessarily read it so much as that they're the parents so much as just this is their job this is this is what they were put here to do they put here to do that so if you if you if you don't have a kid though i mean because they talk about this a lot throughout the movie about oh you had a kid you have a kid and right i don't know i mean they they use that phrase over and over and over again which which i thought was kind of interesting and they had to be hinting at something though yeah they're drawn i mean they're drawn to children like moths to the flames right yes. like at one point they're running across the awning of the merry-go-round or whatever and gabby gabby just hears a crying child you know like mm-hmm. this is a pretty intense moment and if they don't get to the merry-go-round in time this plan goes to shit and yet she still just can't help herself from hearing the the siren song of this child mm-hmm. maybe there is a religious implication to that you know like maybe this is just a big religious allegory <laughs> you know like maybe it's people being drawn to religion you know like mazda you know being drawn to a higher power so that they can just wrap their brains around existence i mean that's the moment when forky kind of embraces the idea of being a toy he sort of rationalizes the way that uh, bonnie thinks about him as the way that he feels about <laughs> Mm-hmm. being in the trash right yeah, yeah so i don't know i mean i th- that's an interesting read that you feel like th- they're the parent parental surrogates for the child i i just think of it as like this is their vocation this is their raison d'etre yeah they can't go through this life they can't go through this existence without feeling like they need to be of use to a child but once they live out that usefulness in woody's case once he has he's fulfilled that journey he's fulfilled his obligation to at least two children that we know of and done so in a very selfless manner then he can move on to the next journey which is to be a lost toy mm-hmm. which is something that up until this point in the series had been 
really taboo, right? Yeah. At, uh, halfway through the first film, when they're at the gas station, Woody realizes that he and Buzz are lost, and it it, it devastates. Like, he has a breakdown. And in this, Bo teaches him that maybe being a lost toy can be a different kind of purpose or a different kind of existence, I guess. Yeah, serve yourself. I mean, that's what retirement is supposed to be about, right? You have been of service. You know, you maybe you've been a parent. Maybe you've worked at the post office for, you know, 40 years, whatever it is, you have done your job, you have given back in whatever manner you needed to during your life, and then you get to a certain age, and it's time to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think this film is about Woody finally embracing the fact that he has been of use. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't, it's not his job anymore to look after children or his um, surrogate family of toys. He can go be happy with Bo. I, I agree with that. All right. Um, this is the summer of Keanu, so we'd be remiss <laughs> to not mention Mr. Reeves' role as uh, Duke Kaboom here, Canadian daredevil. Makes me so happy. Yeah. And he is, uh, you know, not someone you'd normally think of, of voice acting, maybe, but he absolutely. Uh, kills it you know his 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 life is defined by being uh, thrown away by Rishon, his <laughs> quebecois child that sent him away i don't know how he ended up in grand rapids or whatever grand basin uh but he kind of steals the show in the in the last act basically he does he shows up i think just past the halfway point just fucking like you said just kills it i mean this guy just he it really is the summer of keanu and be, before you saw the film when i was compelling you to go check it out you mentioned how sort of fatigued you're getting with all the Keanu love this summer right well I look I, I've loved Keanu forever we like we've been on the Keanu train so I mean we've we've talked about it but I just I, I hate when people get a little overexposed get a little too much love because there's going to be the inevitable backlash it's just it's going to come right it's almost like the love for Keanu has become so mainstream that it kind of waters down. Yeah, I loved Keanu before ongoing. you guys did. Yeah. We loved Keanu before it was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you held a presidential election right now, Keanu Reeves would have a pretty good chance of being the write-in candidate. Yeah, I bet n- most of these Keanu lovers have never seen Destination Wedding. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> you really are the Keanu superfan. <laughs> yeah, he's... He's delightful in this. He's so funny. He's so committed. The design of that character, the conception of that character is just brilliant. It's so, they just continue to find new ways to kind of delve into the pathology of these fucking playthings. I mean, the idea <laughs> yeah. that, that this guy's anxiety stems from the fact that he can't fulfill the promise of his commercial, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just similar to Buzz's issue in the original film where, you know, not a flying toy, not a flying toy, right? So he he feels useless or at least lesser because he can't do the one thing the commercial promised Rajan he could do. Mm-hmm. And so he's given an opportunity to uh, redeem himself in an unexpected fashion. And you get a you get a complete arc in, you know, the whatever the 35 minutes or so or so of screen time you get with that character. It's just a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the performance is fantastic. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, Keanu maybe should do some more voiceover work. He's he's better than I than I thought he would be, and that's coming from a Keanu lover. Just on first glance, like where does this rank for you in the in the whole Pixar oeuvre? Uh, it's the 21st Pixar release. Uh, yes, it is the 21st Pixar release. It's taken them 25 years to get to 21 films. Mm-hmm. Well, just first and foremost, I think it's the fourth best Toy Story movie. Agreed. But I still love it, and I still think it deserves to exist, which is just something I, I didn't expect to say a week ago. Yeah. So I really, really love it, but it's certainly the fourth best. It's, it's the most inconsequential, but it's still really, really great. I mean, I you know I don't know if I'd put the... It's certainly not top five Pixar movies of all time but top 10 certainly you know yeah, i understand I'm, it's a bit of a crowded field but just i i really think that this movie just kind of does everything it sets out to do right maybe it has more modest expectations than other pixar films certainly anything more modest than anything that's happened in the toy story universe but it doesn't change the fact that the movie is a overwhelming success in my estimation yeah i mean pixar movies are defined by their immodest ambitions right like they're all sort of big, like this feels like the smallest pixar movie that we've ever seen Right, and so justifying its own existence was probably the the right bar to judge this movie by, and I, sure. I I think it does pass that test, even though I'm not you know not like gonna run out and see it in the theater again like 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 you did. But I don't know, it's it's definitely better than all the Cars movies, and it's 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 definitely better than a lot of the last ten movies that Pixar has has released, even though there are a couple of standouts in there. So, I don't know, maybe this is a nice palate cleanser for the for the studio as they get ready to do some more original things because, as of now, on the docket, they have two movies that we know of, um, and they're both uh, 
full-on originals. Exactly, which is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we keep we keep hoping that uh, Pixar will take a break from the sequels. Um, at this point, I can't, I couldn't imagine which film will get a sequel. I mean, maybe Inside Out. Maybe, yeah. You know, now that uh, what's her name, Riley, is in her twenties or whatever, and she's at college, maybe there's a new story to tell there with her emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she's getting married. Maybe she's uh, a mother now or whatever. So I guess there's something to be mined from there. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I always, I always look forward to the to the original ones. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, or, you know, the non sequels. But you know, then again, I think Toy Story three is probably the second or third best one of the 21 films you know wally's still my favorite and it probably goes wally finding nemo toy story 3 the incredibles and coco for me yeah i think those are the the upper echelon the top echelon maybe i like ratatouille just fine um but yeah yeah i I think those are by far the 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 top six or seven can i shout out a couple more uh great uh vocal cameos please do did you notice uh mel brooks carl reiner betty white and carol burnett as the old timers in the closet yeah and uh did you look at their character names yeah (laughs) it's like carl rhinoceros or something carl rhinoceros uh cheryl burnett Melephant (laughs) brooks and bitey white Good stuff. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, <laughs> that was very very funny. My favorite, what's the best way to put this? The funniest moment in the movie for me comes courtesy of Carl Weathers of all people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the moment when Carl Weathers as Combat Carl, which is a character we were actually introduced to in the original Toy Story, who was blown up by Sid but never talked. Mm-hmm. When he, <laughs> just thinking about it's making me laugh. There's three Combat Carls. One of them is like I don't know, snow fatigue Combat Carl or something. <laughs> yeah, Hoth. Carl. <laughs> yes, exactly. He keeps going for the high five and they keep leaving him hanging. I don't know why it fucking made me laugh so much. And his face just gets a little oh, bit sad. Just he's a so dejected. Bit sad. Yeah, it's great. Did you make it through the end? Did you wait for the for the Pixar bumper at the end? No, I didn't. If you wait till the end, I Pixar didn't know there bumper, was one. It's always, well, Dang. it's always Luxo Jr. who comes jumping over, right? He comes yeah. jumping over. He jumps on the eye until it squishes. Then he clicks off. At the end the end Pixar bumper of this one, uh, Duke Kaboom comes riding into frame. He jumps his motorcycle onto the eye and squishes it down. And then Combat Carl comes running in and gives him a high five. Aww. Hoth fatigue. Combat Carl <laughs> runs in and finally gets a high five from Duke Kaboom. It was Aww. the most adorable thing I've ever seen. That's nice. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I'm still super duper high in this movie. It's, you know, it's not perfect. It's not the best in the series, but um but anything that's that's this much of a pleasure and that is I think is this successful at what it attempts to do and is so funny across the board, so heartwarming, so unexpectedly romantic. I didn't know the series could do romance, and now I do. I mean, I was super invested in the relationship between Jesse and uh Buzz in the third film, but I, I feel like that was more flirtatious than anything else. This time you get you look legitimately get like oh a uh, you know a long a, a romance between these two characters you know separated by time and space finally coming back together you know a character we haven't heard from in 20 years yeah since 99 so and i and i was all in on it and i'm excited about their adventures together you know it'll be great yeah. going out into the world oh p.s uh, ricky henderson cameos as the voice of the oakland athletics bobblehead figure as well oh, i did not realize that i didn't realize it either i just read it on uh, wikipedia oh god bless ricky one of my top five favorite athletes of all time oh and the moment that harmony rejects gabby gabby mm-hmm. it's supposed to be this incredible moment where of this buildup is going to be fulfilled and harmony just says eh, not really and drops her in the i just thought like the dark humor of that to me was just just the just the brilliance of pixar being able to create a moment like that that's so incredibly dark and so darkly funny and yet so so right you know for the Mm -hmm. and they're eventually going to get to pay it off when she meets this other child of course but god just the balls to create a moment like that after everything that gabby gabby has said about you know which what she wants out of existence yeah it's just it's just a beautiful thing it was perfectly executed and it sort of fits in with the theme of the movie which is sort of you know can't force it gotta sort of succumb to the inevitability of of what your existence is going to be yeah which is which is nice uh you know like i said i I like the message of the movie it did feel a little bit inessential but it's you know it's it's delightful nonetheless and very pretty to look at and you're you're back with your old pals again there's a couple of fun new songs from randy newman it's it's mostly a copy and paste job yeah definitely like I, I really felt like oh yeah that's a retread of that that's a retread i mean his music is still great it's just mostly copied and pasted from previous films it's not a whole it's not a especially original soundtrack just randy newman way. singing about what he sees singing right? about what he sees <laughs> i think what's his what's the centerpiece song it's it's i won't let you throw yourself away yeah 
I was like, that's fucking on the nose, buddy. <laughs> but then again, so is you've got a friend in me, right? I know, I know. <laughs> that's what we love about Randy Newman. Randy Newman has been Oscar nominated like 12 times. I was looking at his IMDb the other day. He has an insane amount of Oscar nominations. He's only won twice, both for Pixar songs. But yeah. God damn, that guy's been, he's, he's gotten Oscar nominations for the last 35 years. It's crazy. I, I'm surprised he hasn't, he's not an EGOT guy, right? Yeah, because he's written... I think he's written musicals. Yeah. I don't know if they've... I'm, I think he's written musicals that have been performed on stage. All right, I'm going to look this up while you while you talk. That's pretty much it. I mean, I really, really liked the runner of Buzz listening to his inner voice. I thought mm-hmm. that was really cute. Yes, really that's fine. But yeah, so this movie comes along. It does $118 million in its opening weekend, which is a perfectly respectable number, but it still... Puts it, it still makes it like the fourth biggest opening for an animated film of all time or something. Mm-hmm. More than the third film, but less than like, I don't know, Shrek the Third or something. Yeah. It's going to be a perfectly respectable hit. It's not going to do more than Incredibles 2, which is kind of crazy to think about. First Toy Story 95, second Toy Story four years later in 99 is going to turn 20 this year. And then it took 11 years to get the next one, Toy Story 3 in 2010. And then it took nine years to get the fourth one. Yeah. So, I mean, the flagship series really has, you know, run the gamut of of this entire Pixar journey. Interesting that, you know, kids who were kids for Toy Story 1 and 2 are full full blown adults now taking their own kids to these movies. Exactly. Which is which is kind of cool, but you know, maybe has something to do with a little bit lower box office because i think box office and the the summer movie scene is something you wanted to talk about and where sort of toy story fits into that i just i'm just feeling a lot of anxiety on the part of the industry this summer and lord knows i listen to i listen to a lot of podcasts and there's a lot of hand-wringing about this kind of stuff between the failure of uh, men in black international and uh, secret life of pets 2 and Dark Phoenix, just for starters, uh, people are really worried about the state of the box office this summer. And honestly, it's going to be Aladdin and Avengers Endgame and Toy Story 4 to a somewhat lesser extent that are going to win this summer, right? Unless something drastic happens with Hobbs and Shaw or Once Upon a Time in Mexico turns out, ugh, I keep saying that, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood turns out to be, you know, some sort of like crazy, you know, Pulp Fiction level phenomenon. Yeah, I, um, and I I doubt that will be the case. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of movies dis- disappointed. I mean, Dumbo kind of disappointed earlier in the year too. Lego Movie Part Two disappointment. Godzilla kind of a disappointment. That's the other one. That's the that's the other one I forgot. Yeah, it was it was Men in Black, Godzilla, and Dark Phoenix. That's really the that's really the trifecta of extraordinarily dramatic uh, disappointments. Yeah, and you know we've discussed sort of. Hollywood's, you know, what what their plans are and what they're doing with all these franchise movies and sequels and whatnot. But, you know, for a long time, it seemed like those are the only ones that were sure bets. And now that they're not sure bets anymore, do you think it's a result of just sort of audience fatigue on sequels and franchise things and do you think it's just like everything's cyclical right people just want something new like do you think that's the case is are, are people hand-wringing about sort of the state of different franchises and hollywood not even knowing what to produce next uh, these are good questions i mean I, you know i think it's game of thrones and chernobyl and uh, big little lies being more interesting to people being more interesting to adults at least these days yeah or uh, you know certain things you know the, the aforementioned keanu reeves showing up in something like Always Be My Maybe on Netflix, Mm -hmm. which I haven't seen, but I hear is perfectly charming and pleasant. And yeah, I I think there does come a point where it's like if you're Dark Phoenix and you come along and we've just had Endgame, which was, we all agree, is fantastic and was this unprecedented success. And then you come along with your 25% Rotten Tomato score or something, we're just going to say, well, then fuck it. We're not going to, we're not going out for that. Why would we want something lesser? And and if I'm going to watch a movie with bad reviews, I'll just turn on Murder Mystery on Netflix with (laughs) Sandler and Anderson, which Netflix claims 30 million people watched over its first weekend. Your point is well taken. If you're going to watch a bad movie, Movie, might as well do it at home. Yeah. You know, not going to trek out to the theater to watch a 25% Rotten Tomatoes movie for $18, right? Absolutely. So, and I think I think it sounds like Men in Black was the same way. I mean, honestly, seeing that trailer three months ago or whatever, I was like, boy, I, I sure hope they've got something else up their sleeve because this is not funny and I don't think anybody was asking for this. And it God. sounds like the movie is exactly what the trailer uh, promised, which is uh, something that no one was asking for that's not particularly funny. I saw... 
probably 300 Men in Black trailers because it was like the main yeah. thing for the NBA playoffs. Sure. They had a whole integrated campaign with NBA stars. So I don't know. I think that movie was was over-marketed, if that's possible. Well, I think they were compensating, right? I think they yeah. knew they had a turkey. So they were like, we got to get the word out about this thing. We need to This needs to be appointment viewing. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. And I think people said, thanks, but no thanks. How did they not back up the Brinks truck to like Taika Waititi to make that movie? With that's interesting. Hemsworth yeah. and Tessa Thompson in it, you know? To, to write it at least, right? Or, yeah, or so, just anything, yeah. Well, and just from a fundamental level, what was great about the original was you had a real lethal weapon situation with the old guard and the new guard, and you had an odd couple, right? Yeah. You had Will Smith, who was brand new to this and was kind of very awed by all the things he was seeing. And then you had this extraordinarily blasé, crotchety, cranky uh, older mentor. This time around, from what I've read, Tessa Thompson is very capable knows exactly what she's getting into, has no you know anxiety or uh, second thoughts about joining the Men in Black. And then Chris Hemsworth is just kind of like a devil-may-care, roguish, underachieving bro. Yeah. Right? It doesn't seem like a particularly interesting odd couple to me. I don't know why people don't look at Disney and Marvel and see what they've done with their hiring methods for, for writing and directing and sort of try to do the same thing. Like, what about F. Gary Gray made you think that he was going to be able to do an, a comedy, right? Look at his yeah. look at his filmography. I, I know he's like a studio stalwart, and he's made studios a lot of money over the years. I guess Friday. <sighs> yeah, Friday. Right. I suppose started with Friday. Start with Friday. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he's kind of a he's a little bit of a vanilla hack, honestly. Like yeah. with the exception of maybe Straight Outta Compton was perfectly fine, and I actually kind of liked the most recent Fast and Furious more than most people did. But I don't think he's anything special. Yeah, I mean, if you have this franchise that's been around for a while and needs an injection of new blood, that's exactly the wrong kind of person to hire you know so I, I i don't know i mean it has to that movie had to be really funny to be successful and we probably shouldn't spend this much time on men in black international because <laughs> we're trying to make some greater statements about the the state of the box office but i think it's indicative of studios reticence to hire unknown lesser known independent type filmmakers to do big budget movies which is startling given what marvel has done with with, with their people well, you know, maybe I'll eat my words in, in 10 years when I'm, you know, hooked up to the Disney incubator, like, uh, you know, like something out of the Matrix with them just like pumping their, uh, <laughs> you know, sucking the money out of my bank account while they inject the content into my brain. Yeah simultaneously but i gotta say just like watching toy story 4 and avengers over the last couple of months i'm just and i didn't see aladdin oh the lion king is coming up as well just yeah. to reinforce the disney thing and you know i'm sure aladdin is probably a groaner from what i've heard and maybe the lion king will be a groaner as well but just between toy story 4 and avengers it's just like all right well i mean maybe maybe it's not such a bad thing if these guys just create all the content i don't know i mean i certainly don't want a monopoly but they're they just hold themselves to a higher standard than everybody else does they right? have these big story departments and big writers' rooms, and they they make sure they get everything right, and they they hire interesting people. And I, like I don't know why Universal and Paramount and all these other studios don't figure that shit out. It's it's baffling to me. Just on sort of like the smaller, nichier, sort of more boutique level, you had something like Longshot earlier in the summer, mm-hmm. which turned out to be a, a bit of a relative flop. Did you see that? I, I did see Longshot. I, I feel a little guilty about not having supported Longshot because I think that we need to support things like that and if book we smart want more and, of that. Yeah. Book smart being the other example. And now we're now we're sort of seeing that with last, uh, what's it called, Late Night, right? Which is also going to struggle a little bit to make ends meet. Yeah, Longshot is, might be the most disappointing thing for me this summer because this is exactly the movie we always talk about, the sort of mid-budget comedy R-rated with likable people. And Longshot's really freaking good. Like, it's a very good movie. Yeah. And uh, it sucks that maybe that Judd Apatowian style of film is just not, not for people these days, whether that's because of streaming and people feel like they can get their comedies at home. I don't know, but that is more alarming than people not going to see Dark Phoenix to me. More alarming to you that Longshot didn't find a wide audience? Yeah. I mean, I really think that this is just an indication of the fact that, like we said, people just know that Longshot will be on Netflix by the end of the year, and they're just like, that. there's no spectacle to that movie necessarily beyond star power, yeah. and uh, I don't mind waiting six months to be able to see it in the comfort of my own home for something I'm already paying for. As somebody who likes to see movies in the movie theaters and wants to champion and support this exhibition model i need to be a little harder on myself in terms of like getting out there and 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 spending you're the problem matt it's you i mean i'm i just got to be totally honest about the fact that it just sort of 
slipped through the cracks for me. Yeah. I had multiple opportunities and I just didn't embrace them. I did see Booksmart. I did pay to go see Booksmart in the theater and I'm proud of that. As did I. And that's a that's another really good movie. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it, it makes sense logically that, again, yeah, it's not going to be a water cooler type movie. Like you don't, spoilers aren't a big thing for comedies. Although I, it's hard for me to understand it because seeing a comedy in the theater with a lot of other people and contagious laughter, like that's such a better experience than watching a comedy on your couch. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I mentioned this in our previous conversation that I'm starting to get to be a little bit of a crotchety old man when it comes to comedies these days, and it's pretty rare that something breaks me up. Really, honestly, Toy Story 4 is the first movie that I've really legitimately laughed out loud consistently at in a really long time, and it felt good. You know, it felt cathartic. It felt really nice, you know, and then I came home and and watched the other Toy Story films and laughed at all of them. And I don't know, maybe it just it just takes a certain level of writing for me. You know, like I just have I just have a certain standard when it comes to comedy. Maybe it's an unrealistic standard. But Mm -hmm. um, the idea of sitting stone faced through murder mystery or the ridiculous six or something like that. I mean, I don't mean to be pretentious, but that stuff just doesn't make me laugh. But, you know, books, Booksmart did, and I'm sure Longshot probably will when I finally get around to it. Just to summarize, like, what what are your takeaways from this summer's box office so far, and, and what do you think it means for the industry? I mean, I think that our standards are perhaps just getting higher as a result of Marvel's standard. Mm-hmm. And maybe this makes me a fucking company man, you know, shill for the mouse house or whatever. But I just think as uh, as an audience, we're kind of trained to um, to use Rotten Tomatoes to gauge these things. You know, I really feel like Rotten Tomatoes score had a lot to do with Godzilla not working. Yeah. You know, like to me, that's a slam dunk and everybody seemed to like the last one. People even went to go see fucking Skull Island, right? Yeah. I don't know. I think Men in Black is kind of its own thing, but I think Godzilla, relative failure of Godzilla is a clear indication people aren't just, just aren't going to be fooled by a film with such a low Rotten Tomatoes rating and maybe that's not such a bad thing. I mean, obviously I have my issues with the, with, with the Rotten Tomatoes system and it's not necessarily always a binary indication of of quality yeah but i don't know maybe we just maybe we're going to just force these franchises to hold themselves to a higher standard which in the long run is maybe not such a bad thing but if you know if the movie theaters die in the interim that is a bad thing yeah exactly i mean it does feel like this rotten tomatoes thing only applies to big action spectacle type things because you know book smart with 99 good reviews and long shot with i don't know 90 plus good reviews comedies don't seem to have that that same issue or, or problem or whatever and people just don't want to go see comedies in theaters anymore which which is problematic as well uh pokemon detective pikachu is kind of an interesting situation because that movie actually was a pretty decent sized hit yeah and my just that film being completely off my radar and not feeling the obligation to go see what all the fuss was about i guess speaks a little more to my age than anything else yeah we were just a little too old for the pokemon craze i know my one of my younger brothers and his entire you know age group were obsessed with Pokemon early earlier in their lives and so I think that was just a slam dunk for for nostalgia purposes for for people of a certain age 425 million worldwide on 150 million dollar budget that's that's a hit it's a big fucking hit did you see John Wick Parabellum I did and what did you think uh I liked it a lot better than chapter two Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was better. I thought it was about 25 minutes too long in the end. I would agree with that. And I think the best stuff's in the first two acts. I enjoyed it. Keanu's great, and there's a lot of fun world-building stuff and great action, as you as you would expect. And I uh, I think it's better than Chapter 2, which I think people overrate. But uh, I'm just glad I live in a world where the hard R-rated John Wick franchise is a bona fide, you know, it's huge hits. And it's crazy that it made so much more money than Chapter 2. I don't know what yeah. happened to, between Chapter 2 and Chapter 3. To, for people to get more excited maybe it's just Keanu's ascension 290 million worldwide yeah pretty pretty good I mean it's the sixth highest grossing film of the year mm-hmm. um, and one of the only legitimate hits of the summer yeah I thought it was a whole lot of fun. I still think the second is the high watermark. Oh, wow. Personally, it's my favorite of the three, but I really, really liked it. And again, you know, we're just, I'm just so in the pocket for Keanu. It just, it just warms my heart. He's going to have two of the biggest hits of the summer. (laughs) And the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? G-rated animated film and hard R. Yeah. (laughs) You know, film that has graphic depiction of, you know, guys getting knives inserted into their eyeballs slowly. I have to say, the the, the Keanu bubble, like, this is why I'm worried about bursting. Like, it is batshit insane (laughs) that Marvel president Kevin Feige has to come out and publicly say, we are going to cast, you know, Keanu Reeves in a 
Marvel property. We're just not sure which one yet. Like the <laughs> fact that he has to come out and say that to sort of quell fans. Don't worry, we'll get around to him eventually. What a weird world. Like it's crazy that that had to happen. He might be the single most popular man on the planet right now, you know, between all of his philanthropic work and, you know, paying for bus rides for people when their planes get delayed. Yeah. I mean, he really is. uh, Yeah, I really feel like there's nothing the guy couldn't accomplish right now if he put his mind to it. Yeah, it just pays to be a good guy. Ugly Dolls didn't work. Uh, The Hustle didn't work. Dog's Journey didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, did you see Rocket Man? I did not. I saw it twice. I know it's a little bit of a hard sell. Um, no, it actually is, is going to end up being... Well, I mean, I feel like people who felt they got burned by Bohemian Rhapsody might be keeping their distance. Or people who were turned off by the idea that it is a legitimate musical, which it is. It is It is 100%. It's a real musical. People break into song. Uh, in an integrated musical, if you will. Yeah, it seems a lot more fun. And it's at its most fun when it's leaning into the fantasy elements and when it is just owning being a real musical. Uh, but I found it to be unbelievably charming you know it it transcends just the jukeboxness jukeboxness of it all that's cool you know like it, it made me realize i'm a much bigger elton john fan than i thought i was mm-hmm. but also it, it integrate integrates the songs in a really interesting and organic way whereas i feel like bohemian rhapsody really was just needle dropping and hoping that you know like hoping for your recognition for those scenes to work yeah sure so it's yeah, it's ten times better than that film, and yeah, you know, late night is probably going to have a hard time making. Oh, Shaft, Shaft. I mean, yeah. there's a movie that just didn't happen, right? Child's Play doesn't look like it worked. Dead Don't Die probably isn't going to work. Got bad reviews coming out of Cannes. Uh, Anna is apparently uh, just a film that Luke Besson has already made four times previous. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're struggling this summer. We're having a hard time. I mean, we're only a third of the way through, and uh, we will reconvene to talk about you know Spider Man, Midsummer, Lion King and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, at this point, we're just counting the days till Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes around, right? Yeah, and I was looking at, like, the domestic gross right now seems to be on track to equal 2018's, like, full-year domestic gross. We're about halfway there um, in terms of earnings and half, you know, halfway to what 2018 had. You know, and December is usually a pretty good month. Well, I got Star Wars, but, um, you know, how much of that is Endgame just propping everything up? It really is Endgame propping it up. That's true. Have you heard that Feige plans to re-release this week? Yeah, crazy. Isn't that exciting that that they're just they're really gonna i think they got a chance of of unseating avatar man yeah so they're just they're just gonna try to hope for this like five day burst before spider-man i guess that makes sense right it does seem a little weird that they're doing it so close to spider-man and potentially you know they obviously don't want to set you know but the relationship between sony and marvel is strange Mm -hmm. you know like it's not 100 marvel you know the the the, the agreement is different like if this was a this was an actual disney film i don't know if feige would be as compelled to do this i think they should have just waited for august yeah they should have just waited for shit to die down they should have waited for the dog days when everything kind of slows down when there's not that much out there where it's been a few months and be like hey guys maybe you'd like to watch avengers and theaters again just one more time well maybe they'll do it in november december again too (laughs) well if they don't unseat avatar in the next week they're gonna have to because it seems to me that feige is adamant and i gotta be honest i I, i'm kind of sympathetic you know and again it makes me sound like a marvel shill but i kind of like the idea of avatar getting unseated i love avatar but i like a little competition right like i want cameron to be a little hungry by the time the next Avatar comes around. Like, I want to see a little bit of an arms race. By the here. next... He's got four of them sort of in the bank now, doesn't he? And we'll see if people are fooled over and over. I mean, wouldn't it just be amazing if he just keeps unseating himself with every subsequent Avatar film? It would be totally baffling in those case. They're only $38 million behind as of as of right now, according to Box Office Mojo. Yeah. Striking distance, and I presume they're do- they got to be doing this worldwide, right? They're promising some extra footage or whatever. Right? Exactly. Exactly right, which is really fucking smart. I could see them, I could see them doing it. Top 10 films of 2019 Avengers Endgame Captain Marvel Aladdin Us interestingly enough Mm -hmm. Uh, this is domestic How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World John Wick Chapter 3 Pokemon Detective Pikachu Shazam which I really really liked I don't know if we ever got a chance to talk about Shazam I never saw it it's delightful it'll be uh, on demand soon I'm sure more enjoyable theater experience than Aquaman Mm, yes I liked it more than Aquaman (laughs) and I liked it a lot more than Captain Marvel Toy Story 4 number 9 after only one week and The Secret Life of Pets 2 number 10 and Dumbo and Glass and yeah weird year right very weird year. I mean, not surprisingly, the top 10 is all franchise movies besides us, depending how you feel about Detective Pikachu, I guess. That could count as an, as an original. Oh, it's got to. I mean, this is officially a franchise now, right? 400 million 
worldwide, that's, I mean, it's go time for this franchise, right? I'm, I'm sure it's already been greenlit. It's the first of its kind, I suppose. I don't know if it, I don't know if it counts <laughs> as the, the greater Nintendo cinematic universe. Got to be the biggest video game adaptation of all time, right? Got to be the first one that's really worked. Really? Yeah, must be. Let's look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Box Office Mojo says it's number one. Do you, do you, would you like to guess what number two is? It's only up by nine million. Is it, is it Warcraft? Nope. It's not uh, Prince of Persia, right? No. Is it something silly like Teenage Mutant? Is it some sort of like cheat like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Definitely not a like cheat. That? Then I'm baffled. Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Oh, okay. The original, the Angelina Jolie. Followed by the Angry Birds movie. That's not a video game. It's a, it's a phone game. Uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for the uh, for the Farmville game. The Farmville movie. Damn it. I screwed up my own joke. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch like, like a Stardew Valley Animal Crossing type game where people are just doing normal things. Will you be going to see The Lion King in the movie theater? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, if the reviews are really good, maybe. like I, I like Jungle Book just fine. I've avoided Aladdin. I just don't want to support w- what Disney's doing with all their old animated movies, really. Yeah. I mean, I pres- presume you didn't see Aladdin, right? I did not, no. Neither, yeah, neither did I. But I, I don't know. I might get dragged to it by my girlfriend. We'll see. I just think it's going to be such a flashpoint. You know, it's, it's just going to be such a talking point for the next couple months. I feel like I just got to rip off the Band-Aid and go do it. And yeah, I feel like Favreau has earned my support by this point. It was really funny to be in the theater the other day watching Toy Story and to see the Lion King trailer directed by John Favreau and then immediately to see the Far From Home trailer, John Favreau featured prominently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a career. Anybody think back? Yeah, back in the swingers days. Like, I mean, The Lion King has a decent shot. This may end up, you know, being in the top five highest grossing film. I mean, this could potentially be, you know, this could do Beauty and the Beast numbers, right? It's a question of, is it going to, you know, is it going to be like Titanic numbers? I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised if this if this movie put up some crazy numbers. It's just crazy to think that somebody like Favreau ended up being in charge of that. The guy who was Courtney Cox's boxer boyfriend on uh, on Friends. <laughs> Still playing those fun schlubs lubby sidekick roles in uh, in a fucking Spider-Man movie. It's just it just warms my heart to no end. That about sums it up. You got any final thoughts before we sign off here, Matt? No, I'm just finally allowing myself to get excited about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've been avoiding thinking about it because I don't want to wait for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, just the reaction coming out of Cannes, very unexpected, sort of in the same mold as uh, the reaction for Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, we all know how that turned out. It's sounding a lot like it's just a three-hour-long hangout film, to use one of your favorite terms. Yeah. And that that sounds like fun. I mean, apparently it's much looser, funnier, much more heartwarming, I think, than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited because I literally feel like I have no idea what this is going to be like at this point. We're Tarantino stands, and we uh, it's been my most anticipated summer movie for, for quite a while. So, I, I, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. And that might be the next time we, we talk uh, new movies. I look forward to it. I'll see you then. Matt here with a quick, friendly, and humble request. As we round the corner into our ninth year on the way to a decade of We Like Movies and closing in on 300 episodes, we thought it might be a good time to talk about donations. If you felt so inclined, perhaps consider visiting the donation page at www.welikemovies.com and help us out with a small ovation. Anything you'd be willing to contribute would help us offset the cost of seeing upwards of 100 movies in theaters per year, as well as the expense of maintaining the site. We're not looking to get rich off this podcast, and we certainly don't do it for the money, but any assistance you'd be willing to provide lessens the financial strain of producing the content we're committed to providing you with. Thank you so much for your continued patronage. 2019 is going to be our biggest year yet, and we're so excited to have you with us. Thanks again. Your arms held a message I surrender all my love to you. Midnight a sweet romance I know all my whole life through I'll be remembering me forever and ever